0: friends, my name is John Bergen. I use he, him, and his, and I'm recording this in Philadelphia on unceded Lenni-Lenape land. In case you didn't know, you're listening to The Word is Resistance, a podcast exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about surviving, resisting, and thriving in our current context of violence, repression, and white supremacist, heteropatriarchal colonial capitalism. We ask, what do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance in showing up for liberation? The music you hear is a live recording of a song gifted to the Freedom Movement by Dr. Vincent Harding, We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who came together for a movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014 and led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freene harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. This podcast is also a project of surge faith, surge, or showing up for racial justice, organizes white people to take bold action against white supremacy. This podcast aims to resource us in that work, which means it's for everyone, but geared towards white people working to build our resistance muscles. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. My siblings, do you, with, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while the other one who's poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that God has promised to those who love God? But you have dishonored the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it." Uh Uh-oh. Friends, this text isn't pulling any punches. James does not care about your feelings, the writer tells us, listen, you're picking on the wrong enemy. You're fighting for rank, for status, for a slightly larger piece of the imperial pie, but you're ignoring your oppressors, the ones who are serving you up poison pie to begin with. Extending uh, Nicholas' food metaphor from August 19th episode. Go check that one out if you missed it. And it's worth pausing here to remember that this text isn't written by, for, or to the owning class. James is calling out, people in in their community, and while there isn't consensus among academics about where the heck this book was written and, and who wrote it, most of the writings in the Christian scriptures were composed by communities that were predominantly working and lower middle class. So James is critiquing a focus on rank and privilege among a community where most people aren't showing up in gold rings and fine clothes. But nevertheless, for people listening who come from or who are the owning class by proxy, you are getting called out too. This text, like Jesus comments about camels passing through the eye of the needle after he tells the young rich ruler to go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, is what Bible scholar uh, Ched Myers calls a text of terror for financially privileged white people in North America. This text falls in that long lineage of biblical prophets declaring that you must be this tall to ride the roller coaster to heaven, And the rich are always going to come up short. No amount of money will pay the ticket into heaven because, well, at at the root, it's not poverty that's the problem, but wealth accumulation. It's not inequality. Today, at least, it's capitalism. And on this, our biblical tradition really couldn't be clearer. The critique of wealth and the assumption that wealth can only be accumulated by stealing it from widows, orphans, and immigrants is echoed by... Literally a millennia of faith leaders from Amos to Jesus and beyond. And I could spend the rest of this podcast complicating this. I could dig into class dynamics and imperialism in the first century or capitalism today or class cultures and organizing spaces today or something else. But James, again, James doesn't care about our feelings. James wants their community to do something to change their behavior now, right now. So let's talk about action. On September 8th, 1965, filipino american grape workers, part of the Agricultural Workers Organizing Committee, walked out on strike in California. They asked the predominantly Mexican-American uh, National Farm Workers Association to join them, and so a week later on September 16th, Mexican Independence Day, they did. Their interracial strike formed the United farm workers and launched a nationwide boycott against table grapes. Strikers traveled across the U.S. and Canada. They told their stories and they organized mass support for the great boycott. Middle-class families in big cities suddenly became bound up in the lives of poor farm workers in California. And the dinner table became a meaningful demonstration of solidarity. In 1970, five years later, table grape workers signed their first union contracts, granting workers better pay, benefits, and protections. In May 1968, amidst global uprisings by students and workers, students at the University of Madison, Wisconsin staged a seven-hour sit-in to protest their school's investment in Chase Manhattan Bank because of Chase's investments in apartheid South Africa. Nearly a decade before many campus divestment campaigns got going, students and community members formed the Madison Area Committee on Southern Africa. Maxa combined community education and research with organizing and lobbying leading to a resolution requiring the city to reduce contracts given to companies affiliated with South Africa. In 1977, 12 students occupied the UW-Madison Chancellor's Office and in 1978, as a result of this organizing, the entire university system divested all its holdings in companies that profited from apartheid. Fourteen million dollars worth of stocks. This win, the largest single divestment win, and the anti-apartheid campaign in the United States happened a decade before most other student or community divestment campaigns saw success. In the late 1990s, members of the Grassy Narrows First Nation in so-called Canada Treaty 1 territory began organizing against clear-cut logging of their traditional territories. After petitions, legal challenges, rallies, and many meetings, it felt like they could never win until two young women from the Grassy community left a meeting on December 3, 2002, walked out into the woods, cut down some trees to block a mining road, and started turning back logging trucks. When their mothers found them, instead of telling them to stop, they stood shoulder to shoulder facing down the massive vehicles in the winter cold. They lit a sacred fire and formed a permanent blockade. And as they continued to escalate, they enlisted the help of the Rainforest Action Network, which began a solidarity campaign of direct actions at sites like shareholders' meetings of Warehouser, one of the companies profiting from the logging. Escalating actions by both Native people and settler allies in Iran culminated in announcements from all companies they would stop clear-cut logging. But the struggle continues because of changing court opinions and new contracts. Much has been done to protect Grassi's community's traditional lands. A few weeks ago, I got a call from a local immigration justice leader. Two families in our area needed to enter a sanctuary in the next couple of weeks, and a team needed to assemble to make that happen. Myself and other members of my church went to speak with another local congregation, First United Methodist Church of Germantown, to see if they could offer their space as sanctuary. We knew they had a large building with a lot of space for hosting as opposed to our small church, and we knew that they had provided sanctuary in the 1980s. When I met with their church council in a room that was dominated by a statue of that Salvadoran family they had provided sanctuary for in the 80s, I didn't know what was going to happen. The clock was ticking, and there weren't a lot of options for these families for the ICE check-ins at the end of August. But without hesitating, almost before I could finish my plea, council members began saying, yes, we will do this. For them it wasn't a matter of if it was how what needed to be organized who would be on the committee when would the families move in their duties as christians with citizenship and economic privilege was clear the sanctuary cases of these two families will publicly launch around the time this podcast goes live on wednesday september 5th i share these stories here because it is important for me to remember that I stand in a legacy of Christians using whatever privilege they have to do the work of following Jesus. And because they represent very different strategies. Changing consumption in solidarity with a campaign, an independent advocacy campaign within the context of privilege at a university, a direct action campaign within a campaign directly led by indigenous people, and opening your church For sanctuary. Each of them is an action, an attempt to respond to this charge from James. Who do you value, who do you serve, and who do you center in your worship? Today the questions are the same. Whose lives matter? And who do we worship, mammon or God? The rich or a queer, poor, rural, brown, Palestinian refugee, the son of God? What are we going to do about it? week's call to action is to build up our muscles for taking action. The stories I told in this podcast largely come from something called the Global Nonviolent Action Database, a collection of stories about campaigns that spans issues, continents, and millennia. It's a great resource for inspiration and for when you're trying to brainstorm strategy or tactics. You can just Google Global Nonviolent Action Database or check out the resources uh, at the bottom of the transcript for this. Second, I want to echo the call from last week's episode to support the ongoing prison strike across the U.S. Incarcerated people in multiple states are entering a third week of striking, and many leaders on the inside are being viciously attacked by prison officials or moved to solitary confinement, something that is defined as torture by the United Nations, or denied the right to communicate with loved ones on the outside. So check in with what's happening locally around you to either support this strike or other prison-led organizing in general. Think about how you can use your privilege to help those who are incarcerated. Finally, a call to action to people who list, listen to this who do come from owning class families or have access to wealth. If you have not, please get in contact with a group called Resource Generation. I've included a link to their website in this transcript. Resource Generation organizes young people with wealth and class, class privilege in the US to make serious concrete steps to redistribute wealth, land, and power. If that is you and you're listening, hit them up. Thank you for joining me today. As always, let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search for The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. Thanks to our sound editor, Maxwell Pearl. Seriously, thank you. Blessings to all of you as you continue in the work of being transformed or transforming the movement and transforming the world.